So I just remember like going to sleep and waking up the next morning, like, hold on, I'm, I'm in a log cabin. I am really in a log cabin in Oregon. What? What am I doing? And I was like, well, I'm here now. <laughs> I done put my money up. Guess I better get to getting. I'm Tiara Darnell, and this is High Good People, a podcast that explores the relationships between people of color and cannabis in the new age of legalization. Portia Mittens is the cannabis entrepreneur you heard at the episode Jump. She's a resident of Sumter, Oregon, a small rural town in Baker County, about five hours or so east of Portland, and just an hour shy of the Idaho border. Portia co-owns the Coffee Pot Dispensary. That's coffee, as in C-O-U-G-H-I-E. Get it? It's kind of a visual pun. Anyway, that area, and really Oregon in general, is flawless when it comes to natural beauty. It's one of the main reasons I live here. But for all its magnificence, this place has an unfortunate racist past. Beginning with the adoption of the first exclusion laws in 1844, Black people were outlawed from settling in Oregon as outlined in the state's constitution. If we defy that law, we risk being whipped with 20 to 39 lashes for every six months we stayed. In 1926, 63% of Oregonians voted to repeal that law, but the legacy of the policy is reflected in the state's overwhelmingly white demographics today. The Black population is only 2%. Most of us are largely concentrated in urban metro areas like Portland. So Black transplants don't just put down roots in Oregon for no reason, especially not in red rural Oregon. There is always a story. So when a friend told me about a Black woman who runs a cannabis dispensary out in eastern Oregon in a county that voted overwhelmingly against cannabis legalization, I had to investigate. I slid on into Porsche's DMs on Instagram that evening. We chatted for a bit. She agreed to let me interview her in person. A few weeks later, I was on my way east. I wish I didn't have to worry about what could happen to me driving alone while black in rural Oregon, but I do. I think we're lost. Instead, I made the trek in the passenger seat, my beau Adam behind the wheel. Yeah, I think we're lost, and I'm hoping we find our bearings soon. I'm just kind of trying to get this way. Like if we just keep going this way, we'll inevitably get to Highway 26. Yeah, except that we've been going this way for probably about 45 minutes now. On this road, the same. Road. We've been going for a while, and yeah. we're not. We're not off. We're off not going anywhere. Oh, God, it felt like we were never going to get here. When we finally arrived, it was late afternoon. We greeted Portia inside the dispensary and met our business partner. Then Portia led us outside and around the building to figure out a good place for us to sit and talk. I don't know if the cars going by will be a problem. No, should be fine. Because the other thing we could do is go over to the dredge. What's the dredge? The gold dredge. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. It's over there. Let's go over there. I just want to check it out anyway. All right. We made our way over to Old Mining Town's train tracks and headed toward the Sumter Dredge, a historic landmark that's now a state park. Do y'all mind breaking the law? No. Okay. There's a, a gate you're not supposed to open. What happens if we open it and we get caught? Well, I know, Derek. You cool. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you just introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, my name is Portia Mittens. I am the co-owner of the Coffee Pot Dispensary. I am originally from Kankakee, Illinois. 
which is like 45 miles south of Chicago. So I currently live and reside and work in Sumter. Why Sumter and why the cannabis industry? Uh, Sumter because, you know, they say like, I didn't choose this life, this life chose me. This life chose me. It was a friend of mine, my friend Ray. He lived out here and he was like, you should come do something in the cannabis industry. He was like, there's no black people doing anything out here. There's so many options. And I was like, I mean, I didn't really have a desire. A first-of-its-kind survey conducted by Marijuana Business Daily in 2017 estimates that the percentage of people of color holding executive positions at cannabis businesses is 17%. Pretty high compared to most other industries. If there's research broken down state by state about that figure, I haven't been able to find it. What I've observed as far as the Oregon cannabis industry is concerned is a lot of white men executives followed by a growing number of white women executives and a tiny but mighty community of black and other executives of color. Intrigued by the recently legalized cannabis industry, Portia decided to come to Oregon to experience it herself. I flew to Idaho. She met up with Ray, and he gave her a tour. And he took me to Huntington. Another small Baker County town an hour away from Sumter. Which is where another dispensary is. Okay. And that was the very first stop I made when I got to Oregon. Um, So he pulls up in front, and he was like, this is going to be a dispensary. And I'm looking at the building like... Clearly, this is not going to be a dispensary. It looks like a rundown. I don't even know what it looks like. (laughs) But who's going to sell weed out of that? Like, who would buy weed out of this place? At the time, spring of 2016, Ray told her she would need about $100,000 to get going with her own dispensary. I don't have $100,000. Lack of access to capital is one of the most common challenges facing people of color trying to break into the cannabis industry. Between the license fees and the startup costs, opening a dispensary in Oregon can easily run in the few hundred thousand dollar range, depending on the city and county the business is established in. At that rate, potential dispensary owners really need to have at least twice that in their budget to start up comfortably, and to weather the storm of constant market and policy change. I know people with that kind of money, but cannabis is a risk, and I don't feel comfortable asking people for $10, let alone (laughs) 100000 Right. She also didn't have much incentive to uproot her entire life and move to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, my life was good. Like, I had the condo I wanted. I was living the life I wanted. I was on stage at Lollapalooza. I'm VIP. You know, I'm living the life. Mm -hmm. Shopping downtown, and I had my friends. I had my family. Like, there was no reason for me to leave. Like, everything was great. Like, I'm not building plans and vision boards and trying to get my life to become a drug dealer. Portia told Ray she'd be keeping her job and staying in Chicago, but the universe had other plans. Four months later, the nonprofit where Portia worked shut down, and she was suddenly unemployed. I think it was a Friday, because I remember my friends joking about, like, it's Friday, you ain't got no job. (laughs) You know, it was, we had to laugh about it. (laughs) Uh, Because, like, you have a job one day and the next day you have nothing pretty jarring yeah it's like what do I do now I mean I was cool because like I trust me like hustlers can sell anything so I ain't worried I got severance money I got unemployment money I'm gonna chill for a little bit and figure out what I'm gonna do next Ray calls me like a few days later after I got let go and he was like hey there's an opportunity to open a dispensary in Sumter the problem is they're having an issue with the city council my question was very simple legally can they keep you out evidently the answer was no but how how was she able to do this that's the question that led me out here in the first place 
Okay, let me tell you what happened. According to Amanda Peacher, a reporter for OPB at the time, towns in Baker County had a chance to opt out of having recreational dispensaries within their limits until the end of 2015, per state rules. I think on the ballot, people had to vote, do you want cannabis or do you not want cannabis? And this county overwhelmingly said no. But around that time, Sumter's town council was too busy politicking, and they straight up forgot to pass a ban. Strike one. I don't know why. I don't know the reason behind it. But for whatever reason, they did not. So that's why this county, you don't have dispensaries, except for here in Huntington. When I came in, I was getting new background information, and they were telling me about all the different meetings they were having and the town hall meetings. And so... By the time they realized what was up, they made a few last-ditch efforts to try to keep out the coffee pot and another dispensary also looking to set up shop. The town council passed an ordinance that would ban marijuana businesses within 1,000 feet of parks, convenient because the whole town is within 1,000 feet of the Sumter Dredge, a state park. That measure got them nowhere because they didn't follow state laws for passing that type of ordinance. Strike two. Then at the 11th hour, one resident attempted to collect petition signatures to get a measure banning can of businesses added to the ballot during local elections in May 2017. State rules also torpedoed that effort. Ballot measure bans are only allowed during statewide elections, not local ones. Strike three, Sumter, you're out. What does the law say? If the law says we can, I will get attorneys and we will make this happen. Uh, Y'all can sit here and bicker all day long about who want it, who don't want it, who don't like the smell of it. I don't care. If it's legal, I'm not breaking any laws, we gonna get this done. So I actually went and got the attorneys that helped Huntington open, and they were the same ones that helped us get ours open. Wow. Because legally, (laughs) they could not stop us. The town wouldn't have another opportunity to try to pass another ban until November 2018, two months after this interview took place. So walk me through your first day in Sumter. How did you arrive here? So I flew into Salt Lake City, waited the next day. Uh, My partner's son got the scales, then drove here. We drove here at like midnight. It was a snowstorm. It was crazy. I couldn't see the road and her son was asleep. And he was like, you can drive up the mountain. I was like, no, the hell I can't. Like, I don't know him to cuss. But that night, I was like, no, sir, I will not be driving. Y'all waiting on me to drive up this mountain in the snow? We going to be down here waiting. Because that was the winter. It was 16 feet of snow. So I just remember, like, going to sleep and waking up the next morning. Like, I'm in a log cabin. I am really in a log cabin in Oregon. What? What am I doing? And I was like, well, I'm here now. (laughs) I don't put my money up. Yes, I better get to getting. The morning after she arrived was the first time Portia had ever laid eyes on Sumter. She'd also never seen her dispensary or personally met her business partner, though they'd talked on the phone extensively. The dispensary opened two weeks later on January 31st, 2017. Who are your customers? I mean... Everybody. Because presumably for a county that said that they didn't want weed and a town that couldn't get its paperwork together... I'm not going to put nobody's (laughs) business in the street. I'm just going to say... That I see all kind of licenses from other states. That's real close. Mm-hmm. And then this is like a vacation area. So we get people people who want to come to the dredge, people who come check out the steam engine. We get people from all over the world. Is there cannabis culture out here? I mean, like, not I think really. It's, not, not, it's not really a culture. Is yet. that changing at all? Or do you uh, hope to change it at all? I mean, 
you know, I what impact I, do you hope to have on cannabis culture out here in rural? Really, rural what area? I, I believe that people need should live should be able to live the life they want to live and live life on their terms. So I'm not going to try to force anything on anybody. If they, if there's a culture out here that's already set, I don't feel like I have the right to impose cannabis onto that culture if that's not what they want. I just I'm looking more for acceptance. But isn't that what you kind of did when you opened it? Because they said they didn't want it. They just didn't file that paperwork on time, but you still opened a dispensary. Mm, If they didn't want it, they did the work to do it. You can say what you want to say, but did you do the work to do what you said you wanted? I don't believe words. I believe actions. And also, we're not forcing cannabis on them. They ain't never got to set foot in that store, ever. And we don't throw it in their face. We're not, you know, it's a store. It's a business. It's a business, just like the bars, just like... Sephora. That's it. That's all. If their thing is hiking and camping and boating and this and that, um, the people will dictate if cannabis becomes a culture out here. And so people are clearly dictating that they want cannabis out here because our doors are still open a year and a half later, over a year and a half later, and we're doing great. We, we we set it there and said, we're here. If you want to come, come. We built Rome. And now they're coming. Their choice. I'm at a loss for words when I take stock of what Portia's been able to accomplish. She's an entrepreneur in a highly stigmatized emerging industry in a unique market like rural Oregon. And just when I think I can't be an all-this woman anymore, she goes and tells me something that blows me away and hurts my heart at the same time. She's the only person of color in the entire town. Yes. Black population one. That's me. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I still am just, I can only (laughs) like just nod my head to that because I know how I feel living in Portland. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes it's so isolating and there's more than one black woman in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of difficult because like when I want to make jokes. You know, no one gets my jokes. <laughs> no one gets the Friday, you know, commentary, you know, the food. It's just, it's different. It's definitely been different. It's definitely been a growing process. And, uh, but the good thing is I went to University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign where I was one of few. So that sort of got me ready. I can relate. Prior to moving to Oregon, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Morocco for two years. Even though I wasn't surrounded by whiteness, I was still an other, a non-religious Western black woman in a male-dominated Muslim society. It took me a couple years to realize it, but that experience unwittingly prepared me for Oregon. And funny enough, it also prepared me to navigate some uniquely black challenges Portia also had to adapt to. For the first about year and a half, I flew back to Chicago to get my hair cut. True story. How many, like, every other month? Like, every two months. True story. I mean, I visited my family and all that, but yeah. But primary mm -hmm. reason was to get your I had an appointment. Nobody in Sumter out here trying to learn. Girl, I'm not not letting nobody touch nothing. Not a strand in my head. (laughs) Maybe to cut it. Maybe maybe to cut the top part or color, but... A lining or a fade? I know. No. I know. I know. It's an obstacle course trying to find products and services that cater to the specific hair and skincare needs of black people in Oregon. 
In Portland, there are some, but not enough black people here to drive the demand. So in a town like Sumter, forget about it. Then again, at the end of the day, no matter who you are, living in Sumter can sometimes be just plain challenging. If you live out here, you have to think about um, toilet paper and feminine products and making sure you don't run out before a certain time and your gas and planning out your groceries. Those are things that living in Portland, living in Chicago, you don't really have to think about. But here you have to think about that. You have to think about, okay, how much gas do I have to get back? Do I have enough? Will I be able to make it to the gas station before they close at 5? You know, if I run out of something at 2 a.m., I can't go get it. If there's an emergency, how am I going to get to where I need to be? You know, who's going to be here for me? I also struggle being black in Portland. And social anxiety, I feel it regularly. The whole state feels like a white space. It's not uncommon to wind up being the only POC in a room. At first, I didn't notice it. But after five years in Oregon, it's now the first thing I see. And honestly, it makes me feel a way. I asked Portia what the experience is like for her. The city of Sumter, whether they liked me or disliked me, if they disliked me, I didn't know it. You know what I mean? Maybe they just stayed out of my face, which is fine. I'm cool with that. But my interactions have been great. Hmm. I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful. I, I can't say I've had a bad experience with the people here. Portia doesn't go to Chicago anymore to get her hair done. She goes to Portland instead. Each time she gets behind the wheel for that long stretch of drive, she keeps her phone nearby, just in case. I got pulled over for having on my lights at 9 a.m. Because he said, my headlights. Because he said that they were too bright. They have to be less than like, it was like three light bulbs or something. I don't I had never heard of such a thing. Were you by yourself? Yes. With tons of stuff. (laughs) So you got pulled over with some product for having two bright lights. And how did that interaction go? What happened? Um, He just, he gave me a ticket for speeding because I was two miles over the speed limit. And he let me go. And that was that? Yeah. Two whole miles. That was his reason for pulling me over initially. Then he noticed my lights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what went through your mind? I mean, I don't know. I just know. What like, went through my mind was I turned my recorder on on my phone. That's what went through my mind. The reality is there are few safe spaces to be black in this country, let alone this state. And there's only so much we can do to protect ourselves. Knowing it might be a possibility, I asked Portia if she was packing heat. You carry a gun? Sometimes. You know how to use it? Mm-hmm. Did you learn out here? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I ain't no fool. You know, I mean, I know people, but I don't know everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. That's true. And this is a, um open carry state, so. I just keep saying I need to learn how to use one. I'm going to do it. It's helpful. Yeah. It's a good skill to have, even if yeah. you have to never have to use it. I hope I never do, but I do yeah, want to know how. I pray I never have to. I don't ever want to. Yeah. Yeah, I have no desire to. Portia may seem alone out here, but she's not. Her smartphone and social media keep her connected to home. She has a consistent stream of friends and family visit. When they're not physically with her, spiritually, they are. One of my pieces of self-care is I try to wear something. I try to wear, use, or eat something given to me by someone who loves me every day. So today I'm wearing the earrings my mom gave me. 
And what one of the things that has um, that Oregon has taught me is that the things that I thought were weird about me, the things that I thought were my quirks and my oddities, and was like, why am I like this? That's what's kept me. Like me being a loner. Like I am completely fine being alone. I don't have to see a soul for seven, eight days. I really don't. And I am perfectly cool with that. And that's been helpful being up here. Because, I can imagine. Because, you know, you see, it's just uh, sometimes it's just you. Of course, that doesn't stop Portia from wishing more black people, even just one, would move to Sumter. Like when we were talking on Instagram, you said that you had plans to blackify this area. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> what, you so know. What, what are the plans? How, how are you going to make Sumter the place that you want it? To be your, I'll make a deal with is. you. A month from now, mm-hmm. we can reconnect. Mm-hmm. And I'll have more details for you. Okay. Okay. I followed up with Portia a month later, but she said she still needed more time before going public with her plans. I checked in a few more times. Then finally, four months later, she told me she was ready to talk. Hello? Hey, how are you, fam? I'm buying out my partners. So I'll be the sole owner of the coffee pot. There was another dispensary I was working on buying, but I did not buy it because the vote in Ontario, you know, changed everything in Eastern Oregon. So after doing the absolute most to try to stop cannabis industry from becoming a part of the local economy, voters in Sumter, nearby Ontario, and four other rural towns had a change of heart. They said yes to legal marijuana sales within their city limits. There used to be two dispensaries in Huntington. It's now going to be 23 in Ontario. Wow. What do you think changed between the initial no and this yes? Money. Yeah, that rundown dispensary Portia saw on her first trip to Oregon, the one she said didn't look like a dispensary, it went on to become one of the most lucrative in the entire state because of its proximity to Idaho, where cannabis is still illegal. Gotta say, I'm still just in awe of you. <laughs> don't be, I'm crazy. You don't want to live this life. <laughs> I can identify with Porsche's experience to an extent. After cold emailing vineyard after vineyard until I found a job, I booked a one-way ticket and moved to Oregon, sight unseen and alone, five years ago from Morocco. I got an interest in wine and geography. Two fellow Peace Corps volunteers, Oregonians, suggested I try my hand at viticulture in Oregon. So I did. But that experience was short-lived. Like the cannabis industry, the wine industry is very white and can be isolating for people of color. The physical labor I actually enjoyed— but I ultimately realized I didn't want to put in the emotional labor it would take to be a black woman trailblazer. Plus, if I'm honest, I'd rather drink the wine than make it. But I'm glad I went forward and tried something new. Like Portia, I'm the kind of person that never wants to look back and regret and think, what if? I needed this experience to make me become the person that I was intended to be. I had to learn to watch my front and to watch my back. I had to learn how to stand on my own, too, without anybody being like, hey, Portia, watch out for this. Portia, you know, this person may not be the best way. I've never had to demand my worth. I was always given my worth, whether it be a paycheck, whether it be a a concert ticket. People saw my worth. They respected my worth. 
and they gave me what I was worth. Out here, I had to earn every single bit of it. And I'm grateful for that because now I know my worth. Now I can stand flat-footed anywhere and be comfortable in my knowledge and be comfortable in who I am and what I've done and knowing that I did it. No handouts, no step-ups, no preferential treatment because I know so-and-so or so-and-so referred me. None of that. I had to earn it. So are you thinking ahead to opening something back home in Illinois when that time comes? Of course. It's home. Well, I will be talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. In June, Illinois became the 11th state to legalize cannabis. It's the first in the nation to do so through its legislature rather than a voter referendum. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. With this legislation, our state once again is a leader, putting forward the most equity-centric cannabis legalization in the nation. The Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act goes into effect January 2020. It also paves the way for thousands of cannabis-related criminal records to be expunged. For Portia, this historic moment marks the beginning of what she calls Operation Bring Portia Home. High Get People is produced by me, Tierra Darnell, with editorial and production assistance by Ambar Espinoza, Crystal Ligori, and Sim Pim. The theme music by Fritz Waugh is called Bouncing, off the album by the same name. Special thanks to the Regional Arts and Culture Council in Portland, Oregon, for supporting the first season of High Get People with a grant. That's it for now. In the meantime, support what you like to hear. Like, share, follow, rate, and or leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening from so others can find it more easily. You can also follow High Get People on Instagram and Twitter and definitely check out the website, highgetpeople.com for exclusive content and to learn more about how you can support the continued production of this independent podcast. Bye, good people.